0: This is uh, Dr. George Zilbergel and I'm uh, with Citizens Going Wild, and we have some interesting things, I think, to talk about today. My first uh, message is that politics is always going to be a hot mess. We human beings seem to have a lot of mixed motives, and no matter what we do, we end up, even when we try to do well, causing problems as we roll along here. Anyone that tells you the politics, which is just how free men discuss and solve problems, free men and women discuss uh, problems and solve problems. So it's gonna be a damn hot mess because of our human nature and our inability to know everything. Um, My example for today has to do with trying to limit abuse by police. Believe it or not, in spite of all the problems we have, there are good people who have been trying to solve these problems for a long time. One thing that uh, aggravates me an awful lot is when I see these policemen, uh, and I find out that these policemen who abused someone recently have abusing people, have been abusing people for a long time. And I immediately start to yell at the town manager at the mayor, at the governor, at anyone in sight as to why they haven't fixed this up. Well, I've tried to fix things up, but this, what I'm gonna illustrate here is how difficult it is to operate in government. Um, there's a group that you've never heard of, and there are actually many groups that you've never heard of, who play a very important role in a governing society. And they are not known to the public, there's sort of a substrata of people who operate and and control and affect our lives to a great degree, but they are not appointed by anyone we know, they're not voted on by anyone we know, and often the people we do vote for just have no control over these folks, they're not bad people, there are no bad guys here, they're mainly good guys here now we've had problems with abuse by the police for many years and many town managers many mayors many governors have tried to stop this one problem that they have is labor arbitrators labor arbitrators have played their proper role but their proper role has made a mess out here And uh, the problem is, how do you get rid of bad policemen? Now, what has happened in a number of areas, often, very often involving police, you have labor arbitrators who listen to both sides of an issue, for example, police abuse, and then make a decision as to what shall happen to the policeman who's been abusing us, or abusing someone out there, Labor arbitrators have often overturned decisions by mayors, by governors, uh, by police chiefs. They have ordered, for example, and these are true stories, uh, they have ordered the towns to rehire officers for deeds like raping a child in a, a teenager in a patrol car restoring the job to someone who is uh, driving the getaway car in a murder, fatally shooting unarmed drivers. (sighs) These are very demoralizing situations to the mayors, to the police chief, and to society in general. It's even worse than that. Policemen are often being removed from their jobs. Policemen are often given their jobs back, sometimes with back pay. In fact, arbitrators force departments to rehire abusive officers about half of the time. Half of the time they force the town to take back someone even if they've committed a crime, like driving a getaway car and a murder. How do we end up with this situation? Are there bad guys we can yell at? Well, not exactly, it's very, very hard. And you need to understand this if you wanna understand how things work in a free society. We had a problem years ago and we tried to solve it and solving that problem, we ended up in a different problem. And this is what happened here. Uh, for a long time, there weren't many black police officers. But then and we started in the 60s and so on and so forth to hire black police officers, but we ran into a problem almost immediately. What happened was they started to treat the black police officers worse than they had treated the white officers who had committed similar deeds in the past. So a guy named Carol Doherty, who was trying to do the right thing and didn't do a certain degree, included equal treatment on a list of factors that he used to determine what the punishment was, was best. And this became known as Daugherty's Rule. What the hell does this mean? It means that they had a rule when a labor arbitrator operated that you could not, in effect, discriminate against the black officer and treat him worse for a particular misdeed than you had treated the white officers in the past. I hope that makes sense. I'll try and say it a different way. It, pre- it prevented black officers from being singled out for and being treated harsher, worse than white officers have been treated in the past. Okay, this is, was a good thing, but it then led to another thing, which is a bad thing. It basically was used by lawyers for white police who said, hey, that's a good rule. From now on, white officers, black officers, yellow officers, pinstriped officers, cannot be treated worse, cannot be punished more for a crime that they commit now than officers in the past were treated. So if an officer in the past just got a slap on the wrist, an officer in the present, white or black, will also get a slap on the wrist and nothing more. So, this is what happened. We ended up with police officers being protected by not allowing current day society to punish them more harshly than they've been punished in the past. And in the past, police officers often got away with murder. So here we are, what do we do about this? We have a large labor arbitration process that prioritizes the rights of individual officers over the community's right to be free from abuse of police officers. So what the hell do we do here? Well, it's hard. Entire states have labor laws that guarantee arbitration for public service employees. And the people who do the arbitration are paid per case. They know that if they come down uh, too harshly on a policeman, they will not be chosen to hear another case and they won't be able to make money doing an an arbitration. Usually the law reads that both sides have to agree to the arbitrator. And then he gets to arbitrate the case, do an honest job and be paid. Now, we're trying to get around this. We want to treat the black officers the same as we treat the white officers. And we want to be able to punish The white officers, when they commit a misdeed, we want to be able to punish them more harshly than we punished them in the past, because in the past we didn't punish them very much. Boy, I'm using the word punishment a lot. So how would you get around this? Well, we're actually trying, believe it or not. People across the country are trying to figure out ways to limit the right to arbitration. We've done a couple of things and don't forget all of these things that we're trying to do face opposition from police unions. In Oregon, where the pretty are, they passed a law this summer that curbed the power of arbitrators to change punishments in certain cases. Is that a total cure? No. But what we did there was, we made the arbitrators appointee of the governor so that the governor can have control and be able to wipe their nose. Seriously, the governor is able to control what the arbitrator does by picking what he feels is an honest, a good, arbitrator, and this gives someone other than the police union's power in this situation. We tried to do something else in Burbank and Cathedral Cis, uh, in Cathedral City, another city in California, arbitration decisions are non-binding. That is if the policeman wants a neutral party, someone who says the neutral party, a labor arbitrator, to evaluate the situation, evaluate uh, what punishment should be uh, given and the facts of the case. He can do it, but that is not binding on the city manager. The city manager can look at this situation where the police uh, were involved and a civilian was involved and he can say well that's an interesting uh, analysis that you have but i disagree with this in this point and therefore i am going to make a punishment that is different than the punishment that you would advocate these problems can be solved but they are messy and they are always going to be messy because we have different people with different views different temperaments, different outlooks. Some are racist, some are not. It is very, very difficult if you live in a free country where you have different interest groups, which we have. We have the public, we have the guy who's been beat up, let's say, by the cop, and we have the police union and everyone wants what they want. Uh, if anyone says that it's possible to reach nirvana and democracy, they don't know what they're doing. And, and when you analyze the public problem, uh, make sure that you get all the parties that are involved. Most people do not realize that when policemen are involved and the policeman's situation is, uh, is analyzed and the public situation is analyzed. There's this sort of other layer of government sometimes called bureaucrats sometimes called labor arbitrators so before you act like me and yell at the damn uh, town manager or the governor or the police chief realize this is going on we seem i hope to god we're on our way to solving this kind of a problem because it's so darn important when it comes to police Uh, And perhaps we are. We made a bit of a start, let's keep rolling forward and be aware when this issue comes up that you get involved and do your share of yelling so that the problems involved with police abuse are fair. Fair to the policeman, fair to the victim, fair to the public as a whole. And now I'm switching, we have a section which I call fake news. And by fake news, most people mean, well, it's fake in the sense that it didn't happen. It's it's something like where I say it's Monday when it's Tuesday or Tuesday when it's Wednesday, or even Wednesday when it's Thursday. But there's another kind of fake news. This is things that are not mentioned. The problem here is that the media becomes very dogmatic. And the media decides that certain groups are always right and certain groups are always wrong. And you get distorted thinking and you get distorted news. Here's an example of a very important story that you're never going to hear unless, of course, you have the good fortune of listening to me. Harvard has hired a Palestinian BDS and terror supporter a very strong and enthusiastic supporter of terrorism against Jews, against Israel. And they've hired them to teach their students. Not exactly a neutral guy. This guy oversees a $400 million a year fund that pays salaries to terrorists. If you commit an act of terrorism against Jews, against the state of Israel, if you commit an act of terrorism against Jews, you will be paid. They will give your, well, if you blow yourself up, they'll give money to your family. And here's a nice twist to it. These son of a bitches give money according to the number of Jews that you murdered. The more Jews you murder, the more money you get. And you get this money for the rest of your life or for the family gets it for the rest of their lives. If you often wonder why people are so eager and willing to commit terrorism acts against Jews in Israel, your answer is here. It's a job, it's a living you can benefit your family tremendously. And a lot of people, of course, in the Middle East live in great poverty and deep poverty. And this is a way they can not only become lauded by their fellow uh, citizens, but you can get, make your family well off for the rest of your life. This seems like a horrible idea in Western society. It seems horrible to me, but it doesn't seem horrible, apparently to the people who commit murder of Jews and anyone will do here. You can murder a small child that has been done. You can murder a woman. You can murder a man. As long as they're a Jewish woman, man, infant, it's okay. And don't forget when you go out to commit murder against Jews, the more you kill, the more your money your family receives. The guy who's in charge of this, situation and the guy who hands out the money and decides how much you get has just been hired to teach at harvard which will give you some idea of where the ivy league is i don't want to end on a, something like that especially when i'm talking just before lunchtime here's a little known fact on a lighter side After digging to a depth of 10 feet last year, outside of Buffalo, New York, scientists found traces of a copper cable dating back a hundred years. They came to the conclusion that their ancestors already had a telephone network more than a hundred years ago. And then Los Angeles got excited and California archeologists dug to a depth of 20 feet outside of Oceanside, California. And, the, and they told the media that California archeologists reported a finding of a 200 year old copper cable and they've concluded that their ancestors already had high tech communications a hundred years earlier than the New Yorkers. Not to be outdone in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Olaf Olaf Olson, a heck of an engineer and a self-taught archeologist dug down 30 feet and he concluded that over 300 years ago wisconsin had already gone wireless makes a man proud to be from wisconsin that's all i have uh i did want to tell you one other thing here which i nearly forgot to tell you if you wanted to get in touch i would appreciate it if you did i will write back to you if you write to me um you can just insert the words citizens going wild at email at com. let me say that one again citizens going wild at com, and you can write to me there and i'll write back to you i have a lot of free time